Let's turn our attention now to Holy Scripture, and we'll get right to work. Today we'll be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Let's pray for the Spirit's help. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come together around this text and learn of the greatness of your Christmas story. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate these texts to us, that we would be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our mind, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Well, when we come to a passage like this, it is often a challenge for us to remind ourselves that though we may be familiar with this material, we do not need to let familiarity breed contempt. We need to be excited to hear this. We need to be refreshed by what we have to learn. And that is my goal and my hope today, that we would hear this through the lens of hope and we would have our view of God and his work in our world and in our lives strengthened and changed. So let's begin right here in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, Caesar Augustus that is mentioned here, he ruled over the whole Roman Empire, and he was one of the most uh, prominent rulers in the world at the time. This Roman Empire was wide and sweeping, and included many different nations and languages and people groups. And the fact that this was Caesar Augustus means that, his, uh, that he was majestic or highly revered. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar that many of us may remember from history class, and he was certainly a, a man of great power in his day. Now you also see another leader mentioned here named Quirinius, and he was one of the governors that worked under Caesar Augustus. And when you think about this, you can think about it like a president and a cabinet member. He would enforce various policies uh, that the Caesar would put out to be enforced. And one of those policies was that there was this registration to, be take, uh, to take place, and that was basically a census. And the idea here is that each uh, man would be drawn back with his family uh, to his own town of origin, and surely, on the human end of things, it might have just looked like a good way to do business, but on the divine end of things, this is exactly what God wanted to happen. Take a look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, we know this town of Bethlehem would have been about a hundred miles from where uh, Mary and Joseph had been before. It might not seem like that big a deal today. You just hop on the interstate and roll up there, but they didn't have interstates back then. And Mary would have been very, very pregnant as we know, and making this journey on camel uh, and on foot. And this idea here, you see that phrase, because he was of the house and lineage of David, this is why he was going to Bethlehem and not somewhere else. Both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. That's the, the tribal home uh, where they would need to be registered. And this was an exact fulfillment of the prophecy that we have in Micah 5.2. And when you take all of this historical data, and particularly this last point, it actually leads us to our first principle today. And that is that God is clearly in charge 
of the Christmas story. Think about everything that I talked about two weeks ago. Think about what Pastor David led us in last week. Think about what we are learning today. All of these seemingly possibly insignificant pieces of data on the human end of things, they are exactly what God wanted to happen on the divine end of things because they are showing us time and time and time again that God made these prophecies of what would happen so long ago, hundreds, even thousands of years in some cases. And now, just like breadcrumbs leading us along the path to the greatness and the glory of God, we are seeing them fulfilled. And when you think about even the families from which they came, that is not an inconsequential piece of information. That also was prophesied that he would not just be born in Bethlehem, but he would be from this line. He was coming exactly the in the place that he was said to come, and also through the, the, the people of which he was said to come as well. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones has to say about this. He said, the incarnation is the supreme example of fulfilled prophecy, the supreme example of God's faithfulness to his promises. And this is surely most comforting, especially when we consider it in the setting of the world in which we find ourselves. What God did when he sent his son into the world is an absolute guarantee that he will do everything he promised to do. And oh, friends, isn't this good news for us? Think about all that we've endured in 2020, now 2021, and now heading into somewhat of an uncertain 2022. We need to anchor ourselves to someone who cannot be shaken, who cannot be pushed off course by the latest headline on whatever your favorite news outlet is. Someone that we know that we can take their promise, their word to the bank, and that we can build our lives upon it. And the Christmas story reminds us that the God of the Bible is that very person, that his word is that very firm foundation for us, that the person of Jesus Christ is that friend that sticks closer than a brother for us, and that we can put our faith and trust and hope in him. And we can also remind ourselves, as we look at the mirror of this text, this isn't just true in the Christmas story. It's true in our little stories as well. See, as Christians, we don't just believe, or excuse me, we don't believe in coincidence. We believe in providence. That God is orchestrating and allowing things into our lives for various purposes. Sometimes we can see, sometimes we won't see until we get to heaven. But this thing, these things that are happening in our lives, they're not accidents. They're providential outworkings and opportunities for God to show his grace on our behalf. Thomas Watson is a help to us here with this idea as well from so long ago. He said, whatever our condition is, God, the great umpire of the world, has decreed that condition for us and by his providence has ordered all the things that go along with it. Let a Christian often think to himself, who has placed me here, whether I'm in a higher sphere or a lower? Not chance or fortune, as the totally blind heathens imagined. No, it is the wise God who has, by his providence, fixed me in this orb. Now, 
We may not say it the way that Thomas Watson says it, but his words ring true. God is not simply in charge of the Christmas story. He's in charge of all of our little stories as well. And this is the God that we need. So as we see the flower of this text unfold today, may it strengthen your trust in this God. May it enliven your worship of this God. And may we continue to see what only God can do, even in this passage. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now these swaddling cloths, they are little tiny uh, strips of cloth that have been wrapped around the baby to keep him warm, to protect him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a tiny infant, but somehow they come out with you know, a koala bear attack claw fingernails. Don't know how that's not, they're not cut themselves up, but, but somehow that, that's how it is in the beginning. And so Jesus had good parents on the earthly end, and so they swaddled him up to take care of himself. And also, even that was a part of a uh, prophecy bearing itself out, because what was it that he told uh, some of the folks that were going to come to see him? You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So again, God is fulfilling his promises even in these tiny, seemingly insignificant details. Now, he was laid in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is particularly profound because what is a manger historically? Uh, you've seen it. You, you know it. You've probably seen it in somebody's yard even in the past couple of weeks. These rough sticks of wood that are taken in this way. And uh, basically, it was a feeding trough for animals. Uh, but, but it gets thoroughly manicured in what you see in nativity sets because in the truest form, a manger was a feeding trough where the animals would eat. And because of the close quarters, they would turn around and do what animals do after they eat. So this was a dirty, smelly, just a very rough place to be placed. And the reason they're in this place, uh, most traditions say it's a stable, but it's possibly more likely that this was a cave uh, of some kind, very dark, dank, smelly place from all the animals. Certainly not how we've seen it perceived in, in all of the, the glowing ads over the years. And all of these little pieces communicate something to us uh, about the kind of Savior that Jesus is going to be. One that is not afraid to jump down into the muck and the mire and the manger of life to help us in our darkest situations, in our deepest sins, in our smelliest circumstances, if you will. That Jesus is that kind of Savior. And friends, that's the kind of Savior that we need. Because isn't that the stuff of life? Even on our best days, when the sun is shining brightly, there's some area of our life where it's still raining. And that's the kind of Savior that we need. And that's exactly the kind of Savior that this passage shows us that we have. Now, that thread continues to be pulled right here in verse 8. Look at this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, the shepherds are a group of people much like many of the other groups of people in the Christmas story that are largely whitewashed or at least misunderstood. The shepherds uh, were actually considered to be some of the lowest people on the economic and vocational rung 
uh, in history at that time. They were considered crooks and thieves. They were considered to be so untrustworthy that they were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. They couldn't go to the temple to worship or make sacrifices and maintain religious devotion because they were considered ceremonially unclean. And the news that the Savior of the world is coming is revealed to that group of people. Friends, that's not coincidence. That's providence. In the same way that God is saying something by putting Jesus in a manger, in a cave, or in a stable, in the darkness, and now that, that the publishing of his news is going to come through the mouth of these very unsavory characters, God is showing us something. He's showing us something profound. Even here in verse 9, look at this. It says, <coughs> And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, this glory of the Lord that's mentioned here, it, it, it shows up multiple times in the Bible. Sometimes it's a cloud. Sometimes it's a bright light or a burning fire. And the fact that, that they are terrified here, uh, the language literally means they feared a great fear. It, it, it stresses the intensity of their emotional response. And so it's no surprise that the angel says what he says in verse 10. And he said to them, <coughs> fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. <coughs> for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now the words good news that are used there, it's a Greek word, it's the verbal form of gospel. And when he says all the people, he initially is referring to all of the Jews, but of course it goes beyond that. Verse 32 makes this clear that this good news is, is of worldwide significance. It's, it's to be given for everyone. And what is happening here is God is extending his favor to people who do not deserve it, to people who have no way to grasp for it upon their own other than to be shown this kindness by the God of the Bible. And yet he's so willing to do it. He goes out of his way to do it. He makes sure that the people who might not have heard about it otherwise hear about it first. Oh, friends, that is the nature of the God of the Bible. And what do we learn here about this Jesus? It says he is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, Savior means, quite frankly, he's the one who saves. And to call him Christ the Lord Christ is Greek for the, for the Hebrew word Messiah, and it is a title rather than a name. And for him to be the Lord means that he is the sovereign ruler over all the earth and all of the galaxies. And when you take everything that you see in this section of text, it clearly leads us to our second principle. And that is that we need to consider everything that this passage teaches us about God. This heart for the downtrodden, this heart for the hopeless and the helpless, it's not just in this passage. It's replete within Scripture. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Psalm 12, 5. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Psalm 140, verse 12. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted, 
and he will execute justice for the needy. Now listen, we are all needy in some way. Some of us know that financially, others feel that relationally, some people feel that emotionally, particularly this time of the year. And friends, I want you to know, even if you feel like everyone else has somehow neglected you, even if they didn't mean to, the God of the Bible has not. And this passage proves it. His heart is toward you and for you in Christ, and you need to trust him. You need to reach for him. He is reaching for you. Now think about the other things that we see in this passage, how only God could do what is in this passage, how he gives the good news to the shepherds, how he communicates the good news to the shepherds through this amazing angel. And then also think about what these names reveal to us about Jesus. Friends, there's not a single one of us watching this today that don't need Jesus in a deep and abiding way. Some of us who are watching this, maybe this is the first time you're really hearing about the gospel. Well, this little baby that is in this passage, he grows up and he lives a perfect life and he dies a substitute's death on a cruel cross for your sins and mine. And then he gloriously rises again to prove that everything that he said and did was true. And now he opens the path of life to us if we will turn from our sins, trust in him, and transfer the leadership of our life over to him. That's who this Jesus becomes. Because he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. And if that rings true to you in a sense that, that, that you feel that you need to lay hold of it for the first time, oh friend, let today be the day of salvation. At the end of this message, just shoot us an email, refugefranklin at gmail.com, and we want to help you put your faith and trust in Christ and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. If you've already made that turn, friends, let's marvel again at the good news of the gospel. We should never get over it. We should always be amazed by it. We want to turn to the gospel again and again and again because that message is what we need to keep us going. That's what we need to keep us encouraged, to keep us anchored in a time of great uncertainty. And this Christmas passage shows it to us because it shows us what only God can do. It shows us the greatness of who he is and what he's done. Now, let's look on here. Beginning in verse 12, it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's what I referred to just a moment ago. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, this language here, I think that the best way to understand it would be Maybe that there's peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. And the peace that is being talked about here, it's the type of peace that only God can give. There was a man in uh, the first century who was a philosopher named Epictetus. And he rightly observed this. He said, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart. 
which man yearns for even more than outward peace. Friends, we know a little bit about that, don't we? That anxiety that weighs us all down from time to time. The grief that comes as a part of just being human in this fallen world. Friends, God is with us in those moments. He can grant us peace, not like the world gives, but a peace that transcends and is beyond all understanding. So in your moments of fear and deep sadness, turn to this Jesus that is prophesied so long ago and ask for his help. He will not turn you aside. Look at verse 15. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So third and final point today. Just like these shepherds, we should share the good news about Jesus as well. We should share the story of the fulfilled prophecy. <clears throat> we should share the wonder of all of these wonderful attributes of God. And no matter where we are in the midst of our struggle, no matter how forgotten we may feel, we need to remind ourselves that just like those shepherds, we weren't. We weren't forgotten. And whoever is in your life, in your sphere of influence, that, that may feel like they are beyond the reach of God's strong arm of salvation, God has placed us in their lives to share that they aren't, to tell them the good news. And so my encouragement to you, even in this holiday season, is as many families will be getting together, it is look for those opportunities to love and to serve and to, to speak a word of the good news of the gospel of grace to people that don't yet know him. To speak a word of encouragement, of celebration, of awe, of wonder to those who do already know him. And that we would be like these shepherds and follow the pattern of seeking Jesus, praising God, and then sharing Jesus. Friends, Jesus isn't just the reason for the season, as we so often hear. He should be our reason for everything. He should be the reason that we work hard and that we play hard. He should be the reason that we get up in the morning and that we Go to bed safely at night. He should be the reason that we put the kids on the bus and the kids in the bathtub. Jesus should be the reason for all of life. And friends, who better could we offer our praise and our worship and all of our lives than the Lord Jesus? The one that we see so clearly in this passage. The one that is such a, a reminder of God's promise-keeping ability and follow-through. And such a reminder of God's love for us.
Friends, Jesus is unique. Jesus is special. Jesus shows us what only God can do. Where do you most need his hope today? Where do you most need his help today? Wherever that may be, let's go to him now and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come around your word today, to be reminded of the greatness of who you are and what you've done, seen so clearly in this Christmas story. I pray for those who might be discouraged today. Pray for those who are hurting today. Lord, that you would use this word as a balm for them. Lord, that you would also use this word in all of our lives to remind us of the greatness of who you are and what you do. Lord, thank you for Jesus and for this time together today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.